Hello. I am the matchstick man. What you're about to listen to is uh, a recording of my sticks matching. Uh, so uh, please do enjoy, and for God's sake, listen well to my sticks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. And I'm Tristan. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys, everyone. Thank you. Hey, you want to know what I did not miss from the old show? Tristan clapping for himself. Tristan freaking applauding himself. Yeah. Thanks for having me on as a, as a guest this this year. You know what? We're recording this episode before Thanksgiving, and that was something I was very thankful for that we did not hear every single week. Is Tristan applauding himself? I mean, it, it, it shows him some. It he gives him some character. It, gives, you know? it does. Tristan, I have the biggest ego in this room. I'm just setting the scene on setting the scheme, uh, my friends. Okay, and you, that turned me against you. That, exactly. I'm done. I'm done. All right. Well, goodbye, folks. Brum bum bum bum. Brum bum bum bum. Brum bum bum bum. No, not quite, Doug. We, we still got to talk about the movie. You're right, we do. Hey, Doug. What movie? Yeah, that. Did I was we watch? going to just go into it, oh, but well, whatever. Heck. All just, right, folks. Just we... do your thing. All right, so we're watching this week my 14th favorite movie of all time, uh, the 2003 box office failure known Ooh. as Matchstick Men, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Nicolas Cage, Sam Rockwell, and... I've got to get her name right. Allison Lohane. Lohman. 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 We did not watch a YouTube video this week on how to pronounce her name, so I'll forgive you this time. No, we did not. Um, But um, but anyway, yeah, uh, so this movie came out in 2003. Budget of $62 million. Gross $36,906,000 in the U.S. of A. Now, okay, to be fair, it did make its money back worldwide. It was 65 with $65 million. Uh, made worldwide gross, but still not that great. Um, holds a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. And if you'll give me just a second, I'm going to figure out what it what it ranked everywhere else. 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, 61% on Metacritic, and 85% on Google. Ah, the all-encompassing, fantastic Google. I uh, I will say that with this movie, um, a lot of people find it to be one of one of Nick Cage's best movies. Not necessarily one of Sam Rockwell's best movies, but a lot of people rank this in like top three Nick Cage performances. I mean, I, I think looking at their performances in both, it makes sense that people consider it more of a Nick Cage than they do a Sam Rockwell movie. Oh, yeah. He's the main character. Well, I also feel like Sam Rockwell has played this character in other movies, and... To a certain extent, I think he's played it better in other movies. There's not much to Sam Rockwell's character in this movie. Yeah, but I mean, he does play a significant role. Yeah, but I'm just saying he's not like a developed. I wouldn't call him a developed character. He's yeah, just no, not at all. his partner. He yes. doesn't. He doesn't have any major character 
characteristics that I can point out. Or I, I guess, I guess that's fair, especially since like we don't really understand who he is until the very end of the movie. Which allow me to take this moment to just say, I know that this movie came out 17 years ago, but I'm gonna go on and tell you the entire reason that this movie is relevant is because of the ending. So. If you have not seen this movie and you are in any way interested in seeing this movie, stop now and come back after you've watched the movie. Yes. Elijah Walls is not on this episode this week and we just texted him, do not listen to the podcast before you watch the movie because we have to spoil it. Don't look up anything. You'll probably end up spoiling it. Yeah, that's also true. Um, I didn't know anything going into this, and I'm glad I didn't know anything. I'd say the only thing I knew was the one scene that Doug had showed us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is the scene where uh, Nick Cage is trying to get his hands on some medication. and uh, Has a great Nick Cage freak out. Yeah. It's it's excellent. So to kind of set the scene for you, um, so Nick Cage and Sam Rockwell, also named Roy and Frank, uh, they, they, uh, they are con artists. Um, who, you know, they've made a decent living off of scamming people out of small sums of money, you know, uh, 700 here, 1500 there, what have you. Um, and they try to go for a big score, and needless to, th- needless to say, things get really interesting when they try to go for a big score, because you find out that there was a long con being played, but it was not against the person they were thinking. Um... And among this crazy adventure that we find ourselves on, Nick Cage discovers that he has a 14-year-old daughter uh, named Angela, uh, who he becomes very close with over the course of this movie. And much like the con at the end, you learn at the very end that maybe he was not as close to his daughter as he thinks. Imagine the game Among Us, right? Popular. Everyone loves Among Us now. Imagine you're you're playing it, and you are um, you are not one of the imposters. Uh, everyone else is an imposter. Real quick though, could you just say the name of the game again? I'm kind of forgetting it. Among Us. We just thought it was funny that you said among instead of among. Among. Yeah. Is that wrong? I mean, most people just say among us. Among. You say among. There's no U in this word. Among. Excuse me. Here I will. Uh, I will look it up. Am I crazy? Among no, no, you're not. You're not crazy. You're Among. just saying. You're just saying words. What differences? Um. So anyway, so like I was saying, you know, kind of getting to the overall twist of this movie. So we find out at the very end of this movie that instead of Nick Cage and Sam Rockwell playing a long con on this guy named Chuck. Sam Rockwell has been planning probably a year long, a years long con on Nicolas Cage to steal every single thing Nick Cage owns, um, and it's kind of amazing because it's saved for literally la- the last five min- five or ten minutes of the movie, and until then. You're kind of left wondering throughout this entire movie, wondering like, okay. Where are we going with this? Because nothing's happening. Yeah, that's very much where I was watching this uh, for the first time. Um, I was watching it. I, was like, I mean, I was having a good time. I was enjoying it. But I didn't really see the point. Yeah. Made you wonder why I said this is my 14th favorite movie and why it sent me into an existential crisis. 
Right. And then we got to the end and I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. Yeah. So Doug, I am curious. Um, I know that Tristan and I had not seen this before. What is your experience with this movie? So as How did y'all you may find may, it and fall in love with it? As y'all may or may not know, um, I have some of an infatuation with the Nostalgia Critic um, and his YouTube channel, uh, Channel Awesome. And a few years back, there was this show that they did on Channel Awesome called Top 5, and they would pick a random actor each week, and they would rank their top five best and top five worst movies. And they did top five best Nick Cage performances. And number two was Matchstick Man. I can't remember what number one was, but I had seen it. So number two was Matchstick Man. I was like, all right, I'll 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 watch this. Sounds good. Was number one the one with the bees? No, I think it was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, by, I watched it and I got through like all of it and I was like, I mean, he's good at it, but like, I don't see what the big deal is. I was in high school, by the way, this was right before I graduated high school. Um, and then the ending happened. I was like, um, what, what? Because no one told me what the twist was. This is the first movie that there was a twist in it and no one told me that there was a twist probably because not a lot of people know the movie but it was it was the first movie that had a twist and i was like oh so this is what it's like to not have a twist spoiled for you isn't that a great feeling it's something man um this wasn't the first movie for me that had a twist that i i didn't know i don't want to say it but i mentioned it earlier um the sixth sense yeah i guess we can say it Spoilers. But everyone don't. knows that twist. I did not. Okay. I did not know. I mean, we it. can say what the movie is without saying what the twist is. Yeah. Sure. I guess so. But um but yeah, so like I mean, I saw this and like I said, this movie sent me into an existential crisis cuz I was like, I what 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 does this mean for the characters in the world because like So did did you think that you were being like conned in some way i kind of did because i got really attached to the characters i was like i was like roy and angela's relationship it's so sweet they're so like kind and loving and real and real and then they are not related there there is no relationship there she's not even 14 she's like 22 what 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 how about that huh oddly enough uh, Sam Rockwell as a piece of crap was not that hard for me to buy into, but um, but no, I was like, "What the heck just happened?" I mean, it's because of all that that it sets it up so well. Because I mean, you're watching this and you, you don't expect to see that. Yeah. Like you see Nick Cage wake up in the hospital bed, and like you you don't think anything's going wrong, like. Uh, he pulls his shrink aside and, you know, you think that, oh, yeah, he he might get away with this. Things might, you know, work out. He's going to have a happy ending. And then they don't. Turns out he's been conned the entire time. Yeah, I think I think this is one of the first movies that I saw it and I was like, my main character does not have a happy ending. Like, I mean... Yeah, I mean, he's okay at the end, but it's not like a happy ending. See, I'm actually going to disagree with you for a second. I think he does get a happy ending. I don't think it's the ending that he thought he wanted, but, 
I mean, he ends up with the girl that was obviously interested in him that worked at the grocery store. They're having a kid. He's able to reconcile with Angela. And it's hinted that they're still going to be able to have some kind of relationship. Like, yeah, he lost all of his money, but at the end of the day, that's only materialistic stuff. Like, outside of that, he's doing pretty well. Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, I get I get where you're coming from. I don't know. It's just, for me, I felt like... I think it's a felt- happier ending than it would have been if they didn't include the one year later. Because if they don't include that, you get him... St- sitting on the porch of his ex-wife's house laughing and then roll credits which honestly i think would have also been a really cool yeah ending. i think it would have worked i think that really would have set me into an existential crisis mode because i would have been like what what like yeah so i mean it's very interesting to see a movie set up its twist so well and I think for me, that's why this movie is so significant, because it was the first movie that I ever saw that, like, I got to experience the twist. I think it's also very refreshing, because, I mean, especially today, you know, we've got the internet, and it's not hard to figure out what the twist is in a movie. I can just Google it. I can see leaks. For instance, uh, with the Star Wars The Force Awakens, I knew almost everything that was going to happen in the movie before I went and saw it. Twist and all. I won't say the twist in case you haven't seen it. But there's a pretty big twist that comes at the end that, at the time, a lot of people were not expecting. We joked. I remember joking about that twist with Mikey. Like, yeah, this might happen. But, like, before I went to the movie, I saw a picture of it. Well, like, I mean, even... Even movies that have smaller twists, like Joker, has a small twist, a small little bait and switch, that, I mean, the minute they introduce it, you're like, oh, okay, this is how it's going to play out. And this movie, I think part of the way that it's able to set up its twist so well is because you don't see when it starts. Do you think that Sam Rockwell, he so he plays a lot of the same kind of characters in his movies? Um do you think it is valid to look at an actor and look at the types of roles they play in a movie and then you're able to learn something about the plot of that movie based on what kind of character they normally play? Like Sam Rockwell kind of plays like a c- characters that aren't like the most upstanding or they're scummy or they're just kind of like not the best people. I would kind of disagree with you on that, simply on the fact that I I'm think... I'm not saying that's just what I believe. I'm asking you a question. What you think about this? I mean, no. No, I, I, I don't I, entirely... I don't think in every case you can be like, oh, well, uh, X actor is in this movie, well, so not. it's going to be I think it's very hard movie. to do it in live action. Uh-huh. In animation, yes, 100% of the time. That woman, I forget where her name is... Um, but she played the, she was the mom in Get Out, and she was the villain in Incredibles 2. Um, because every time she shows up in a voice cast, you're like, okay, she's the villain. She's going to I mean, it also doesn't help that her name was literally Evil Endeavor in The Incredibles 2. Okay, I did not get that in Incredibles 2. That was a shock to me that she was the villain. I'm not even kidding. People, like... When people tell me about it, they're like, are you serious? Uh, Evil Endeavor, whatever. I'm like, 
I didn't get that. I didn't. I was in. I was in for something else. That's fair. I mean, they don't explicitly say her full name um, throughout the movie, but I was also not looking for that. You know, I was not like scanning to try to figure out the plot like Michael does. Yeah. See, for me, like for me, like when when I heard her speak, I was like, oh, yeah, she she she. I thought villain. she was a like. I did not expect her to be a villain because I just thought she was a cool character. I'm like, wow, they made. A cool character who's different from everyone else, who's just a just a good character. I and I was a little that. disappointed to find out that of course she's the villain. Of course they would have this weird character to be the villain. So I mean, going back to your point, no, I don't think that it's fair to judge a character's a character's current work by their pre- by their previous work. I get where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's fair. I'm asking if it is. I think a lot of people do it. Something that you can tell, that's something that's telegraphed, whether it's fair or not, whether it should happen or not. I mean, if you see Johnny Depp in a movie, it, you you probably can assume that his character is kind of going to be grungy or like you know off the books or just like. If you see Steve Buscemi in a film, you know he's going to be some weird oddball, right? Every time. I get what you're saying. Not always. Steve Buscemi doesn't have movies that are always like that. Yeah, but most of them are. I I get I get what you're saying. Um, I don't necessarily get that from from this movie, and I think part of it is because Sam Rockwell's in it a lot less than I think you're led to believe. Right. And then also, I feel like anything that he brings to the movie is kind of diluted by the character of Angela. Well, Sam Rockwell generally just plays a good guy in this movie. Like, I mean, he's yeah. a, he's he's. He's not doing good things, but he's like he helps Nick Cage's character along, like they're friends. And up until the end, you don't know, but you know, at the end you do. But before then, you're like, wow, he's really helping. Like he's doing, he's helping a lot. Yeah, and he's I. A good guy. Hey guys, it's your old pal Ben. Y'all already know why I'm here to hit you up with some announcements first i just want to thank all of you for taking some time out of your day to listen we really appreciate your support uh if you're looking for some other ways to support us well you're in luck i've got plenty of ways uh one thing you can do is just keep on doing what you're doing you know keep listening to us uh find some people who like podcasts or who like movies and i bet they like us you know the holidays are coming up and you know what some people might really like for christmas a sticker with doug's face on it uh, we've got stickers and buttons, uh, as well as some old uh, Some Jerks buttons uh, for sale in our merch store, and you can check that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. You can also check us out on Patreon. We've got some cool behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, bonus episodes, early access episodes, all sorts of cool stuff. And if there's something else you want to see, well, you just let us know, and we will see what we can do about it. You can check all of that out at patreon.com slash vitermedia. Now, that's all I've got for you today. Be sure to check out the other Vider Media products we've got out. And now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, kind of getting back to that, to that thing that I was saying a few minutes ago, in that 
part of the reason that I feel like this twist is so is so well executed is because you have no clue when it actually starts. Because there are like seven different points when Sam Rockwell could start the con. He could have started it before the movie even started. Yeah. And I think that's also great because from the moment that we meet Sam Rockwell, we're led to believe he's good at his job, but he needs Nick Cage to help him out. And he still has Nick Cage ha- help him out. In the end, he just has to manipulate him into doing that. Right. Uh, I'm of the opinion that uh, the plan is kind of set. He's just waiting on Nick Cage to agree to that long con that he's trying to get him to agree to at the beginning of the movie. I don't know that Angela was always necessarily a part of it. I think Angela was a tool that... um, Frank used to kind of help nudge him along to kind of make the con more enticing. Well, what do you need for the con to work? You need you need access to a safety deposit box. That's the big thing that you need. How are you going to get that? You have to get him a shrink. How are you going to get him a shrink? Um, you have to get him to lose his pills. Well, if he loses his pills and he has to go see a shrink, that's probably going to draw up something about because i would imagine that frank knows about roy's ex-wife almost certainly um i feel like he probably knows about the baby so i feel like i i i kind of don't agree with you because i do think that angela is vitally important to frank's plan i think he's just waiting to pull the trigger on it i mean if nothing else i think frank has had the idea sitting in his head for a while yeah yeah and i mean i mean he points it out from the very beginning he's just like i mean i know he says, you know, Roy, you can retire. I've still got things I have to pay for. So, I mean, he's he understands, like, how big of a score Roy is. Um, so, I mean, you know, we've kind of talked about all these characters very freely. And I just want to take a minute to tip my hat to all of these actors. Because, good lord, they're amazing. Like, yes, uh, we don't see a whole lot of Sam Rockwell, but dear lord, he puts on every bit of slimy charm that he has, every ounce of it, and I am so here for it. But the thing that I love in this movie, I love seeing Nick Cage interact with Allison uh, Lohman, uh, see Roy interact with Angela, because, like, especially knowing that Allison's just play, that Angela's just playing along, that she's just like, she's just in it. Uh, as a character, I mean, it's very intriguing to watch her body language with Nick Cage because you constantly see her trying to make herself seem younger than she actually is, um, which I think is just fascinating. And I love those moments that we get to see her when she's apart from Nick Cage. Um, and I think that also kind of goes into how this twist is so well set up because in a normal movie, I feel like you would have scenes where Allison's like by herself. Um, she's, she's doing her own thing. You know, she's living her own life. She's probably, you probably would see that fight with her mom and another movie. And here, because she's not with Nick Cage, she doesn't add anything to the plot. Like, I love the fact that the only reason she's ever on screen is when, she is when she is affecting the plot of the movie. Yeah, and like the scenes that we do see her by herself, uh, I mean, we don't really think much of them. Uh, We just think, uh, I mean, she's a teenager who's at home alone. Of course she's going to be doing things to try and make herself 
feel older, like, you know, drink a beer or smoke a cigarette. Whereas like it, she's actually this older person, like this probably stuff she does all the time. And that's also interesting to look at her, like kind of rummaging through all his stuff. And it's just like, mm, she is looking for any kind of information that he has. Um, and then Nick Cage, I feel like he perfectly rides the line of neurotic. Uh, I feel like he plays neuroses, humility, um, sympathy, all at the same time and so well. I love watching him in this movie. This this is my favorite Nick Cage performance. Um, and I love... I just love watching him do his thing in this movie. And I wish that there was a better way that I could articulate that, but I can't because he literally just comes on screen. And it's like, he's in it. Here's something I want to know. It's something that's kind of talked about throughout the film. Uh, Angela has a line that I think really paints it really well. Um, I forget the exact quote, but essentially it's like, she's telling Nick Cage's character, you know, you're not a bad guy. You're just not a good guy. So I think that, begs the question is nick cage a good guy is he a bad guy well he <clears throat> well, he's definitely he's, i mean like he's, he's a not con a man. great guy like yeah he's a con man yeah but, like he is our protagonist in the movie like is it weird that we should root for him well i mean this is the question like that i think everyone should ask themselves in general what what makes you a good person what what's a good guy and a bad guy what's the difference and I think it may be an easy question to answer, but like it makes you think about it. I mean, I I think we see that his character has some very redeeming qualities, like this girl who he wants to change for this girl who could be his daughter, right? And he does. He you know he says he's going to do it, right? And he goes to a lawyer to um, get um, to start the process for um, joint custody, joint custody, which I will say that kind of stood out to me. If he went to a judge, wouldn't they be able to pull records to determine that she didn't have a kid? I mean, I think they I think that they give you enough to work around it in that you know he still hasn't talked to the mom. Gotcha. So, I mean, and we don't know, like, how much he has spoken with the judge, because I'm pretty sure he would be able to just say to the judge, like, he could just, like, make an appeal to the okay. court, okay. like, submit something and just be like, hi, I would like to... Well, all he did was say he talked to a lawyer. I mean, really, all he could have done is just ask a few questions to a lawyer. Okay. That doesn't require a law. Like, a lawyer doesn't have to look up anything. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know. That was just something that stood out to me. But, yeah. I mean, I guess, like, to what extent can we root for Nick Cage's character in this movie? Well, I was I was thinking about this today. Um, you know, I think one of the most interesting dynamics you can ever have with a character in a film or in any piece of art is their level of self-awareness. Because what do you do if you have a character... Okay. By and large, all villains see themselves as the heroes of their own story. But what do you do if a villain sees themselves as the villain and still go along with that? Because I think you see that... I, I think you see, like, that trajectory here in this movie and i think you see it across all three characters i think you have sam rockwell who sees himself as a villain accepts that he's the villain and relishes in it i think you see nick cage who sees himself as a villain 
accept that accepts that he's a villain and tries to or does not accept the fact that he's a villain and tries to deny it um and tries to rectify that and then i think you have angela who is a villain but does not see herself as a villain at all she sees herself as the hero of her own story who's just doing this to get some money roy is nothing to her so the only reflection we see from Angela on this is at the end. Yeah, which makes me think that she doesn't see herself exactly. as the villain. That, ma- that makes me think that she, this was her first time doing this sort of thing, which she says, right? Yeah, no, that's what that's what I'm saying, is she does not see herself as a villain. Oh, sorry. I'm she is a villain, she just doesn't see herself as a villain. Gotcha. Okay, sorry. I think she's the only one of our core three who does not see herself as, as a villain at any point okay, in the yeah, story. Okay, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an interesting dichotomy that you get to see, uh, or an interesting range that you get to see across all three characters. Because once Frank is kind of outed as the villain, I mean, he's peaked in terms of like the worst things he can do, and then he's taken out of the picture we still have something to see in Roy and Angela, which is why we still see them, why we still follow them. And I think that's just interesting to see because what, in what other film, what other book, what other piece of art do we see a character accept the fact that they're the villain and just relish in it? I think of the Joker. The Joker is someone who fully relishes in the fact that they're a villain. Um, I think to an extent... Um, um, and the Dark Knight trilogy. I mean, the Batman in that trilogy very much sees himself as, or I guess takes on the persona of becoming the villain, because that's what Gotham needs him to be. Yeah, but he also tries to rectify himself, um, to a certain extent. And then I think if you want a really great example of a villain who does not see himself as a villain at all, I mean, look at Thanos because. He feels completely justified in what he's doing, and he's like, "Nope, I'm the hero. You just don't realize it." And yet. then they ruined him in Endgame. But yep. do you, but do you think Angela feels completely justified in what she is doing? I think she does until the end. I think after she reflects on it, I think she feels completely justified in what she's doing. There was an interesting moment I noticed when uh, stuff was going down, and they were at Roy's house, and they were um, Frank and Angela were in the car. And Roy was walking away from the car after just leaving her in there. And she was, like, crying a lot. And, you know, he, like, grabbed Frank's hand and was like, take care of her, you know, and all this. And he walked away from the car. And I don't know if this was a continuity error or a director's choice, but you see them in the car, like, in the window in the car. And, like, she has cut off the waterworks. Like, she's not crying yet. She's just sitting there, like, staring at Roy. So, and, and like a second ago, she was crying, which makes me think that it's a continuity error. Um, so, because it, it, there was no time that really passed. I would disagree that. with you because I think that we're set up to believe that she can cry on command, especially if you watch it back. Um, I mean, that's why I feel like it's a little unnatural every time she cries in this movie because it looks like she's making it happen. It doesn't look like... A natural buildup. I mean, I I think it helps that, um, you know, Nick Cage's character can also have those rapid mood swings that she's kind of able to lean into that. 
I would agree with you, Doug, except there was this one time where she started crying, and I felt like that was that was super real. Um, I think it was when it was when uh, right after is it when they're in the car and Nick Cage says you need to leave? Yes. Yep. That was it. Yeah, that, I, was thinking I mean, that it too. came on quickly, but like, pff, I, I think I've cried like that before. I mean, I was thinking that me. too this time. Yeah, I mean, that was good. That was that felt genuine to me. Yeah. Even though I guess it wasn't. But. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I think I think that's one of the great values of this movie is the fact that the first time you watch watch it through, like you don't necessarily pick up on a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. which is why this movie has got such incredible rewatch value to it. Um, I mean, Ben, I've seen this movie a handful of times since watching it for the first time, but, I mean, you watched part of it for a second time today. I mean, you were already talking about things that, like, you picked up differently uh, knowing that it's all a con. And, I mean, they are scattered throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, one thing that I really liked, I uh, I know we uh, touched on it earlier, but, you know, everyone that is in on the con smokes a cigarette at some point. Like, it's those subtle things that, like, just watching, you would never notice. Um, but, like, once you start to pick up on it, it's like, oh, interesting. I, oh man, I love this movie. I, I think Ridley Scott knocked it out of the park with this with this one it's kind of like memento and like how you notice things right yeah i i think i think that's a fair comparison oh you didn't watch the memento you kind of i didn't but i've seen bits and pieces of it and i know the gist (laughs) of it um but no i mean it's it's really interesting to have a movie that you never expect the ending to happen to go back and rewatch him be like oh okay now i get this i get all this subtext um but uh but yeah yeah, it's it's a quality film. Um, I I absolutely love it. You boys ready to score this sucker? Yes, baby. Yes, sir. I am. Uh, so if this is your first time listening to us, uh, first of all, thanks for finding us. Welcome to the party. Uh, but yes, uh, it's it's good to have you've you. You've been you've been listening this whole time. So welcome. I I, I know none of us <laughs> welcomed you when you stepped foot into our homes, but. Welcome. Take off your shoes. Relax. Put your we'll, feet up. Have we'll, a drink. Hopefully, you've been you've felt welcome this whole time. We'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll only have you here for a short while longer, and then we're gonna kick you out we'll until next you. week when we do this all over again. We'll open the cage doors. Well, anyway, uh, if this is your first time listening to us, uh, we use a hundred point scale. Uh, you can kind of think of it like an American grade scale, A B C D F. Uh, if it's a hundred, that means the movie is perfect. It cannot go above. If it is a one, it is a steaming pile of turds. The scale cannot be broken. Doug. Um, yeah, that's it. Who wants to go first? I got you. Um, so like I said, this is my uh, 13th favorite movie of all time. Or 14th. 14th. Sorry. I literally just pulled up the list. It's 14. Sorry. Let's start this over. So, I can go first. Like I said, uh, this is my 14th favorite movie of all time. Um, and every time I watch Wait, I it... Your 13th favorite. <laughs> go tie in a hole, Ben. <laughs> um, 
And, and where I'm at. I really do love this movie, but good lord, it takes forever to get going. Um, like, I think about that every time I rewatch this movie. I'm like, uh, if I could just get to the end really fast, I'd be fine. But once the ending starts happening, I'm, I'm there. I'm so there. Uh, honestly, the moment the Nick Cage freakout happens, I'm like, all right, let's go. Because it's, it's, it's hell to the mill after that. So I'm going to give this movie an 80. Um, yeah, I think it's very, very good. Thoroughly enjoy it. All right, well, I can go next. Uh, Doug, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Um, I thought this movie took a while to get going, and I was like, you know, this this, this is, you know, I'm having fun. Um, but then, you know, you get to the twist, and it's just like, oh, was not expecting that. Um, I, I don't know that I would call it my favorite Nick Cage movie. Um, I'm still quite partial to Face Off. In which Nick Cage plays John Travolta playing Nick Cage. That was a good movie? Yeah, it actually is really good. I, I really do enjoy it. I've only ever heard that was a bad movie. I think it's a fun movie. Uh, okay. <laughs> which, when I'm watching a Nick Cage movie, that's what I want, is a fun movie. Oh. Um, All right. Wasn't there a Lovecraftian movie he made recently? Mandy? No, 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 no. <laughs> Color uh, of Space. Purple or something. Color of Space. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. Uh, overall, I thought it was fine. Uh, I'm gonna give it a 78. Yeah, I ha- my score has changed for this movie over the past 10 minutes, uh, quite drastically. Um, so I just thought a few minutes ago that lowered my score, lowered lower than what I was going to do. Um, I'm also going to give this movie a 78. Um, reason being is because this movie was sad, and it did not make me cry. And I have a problem with that. Why didn't it make me cry? Why did they not try hard enough? They should have tried harder. Yeah, that's something that went through my head the first time I watched it, too, in that, you know, it was very like, I... I feel very strong feelings right now, yes. but you have not led me to do anything on That's them. right, yeah. Uh, I, I needed to cry when when Nicholas Cajicus had his life destroyed. <laughs> Mercy me. <laughs> when Mr. Cage had his life destroyed at the end of this movie, he, he kind of redeemed himself in the end, or at least he was about to. Um, or he was, I mean, when he was in the hospital room, quote unquote, he was talking to the psychiatrist. He was like, please take care of my daughter. This is, you know, the code. This is how you do it. Like, take care of her, please. Like he was, he was all stops. He was trusting just, he was like, please take care of her. And I needed some more sad music or something. I don't know what it is. Some lingering stares. I needed some like more i need a sapier letter from sam i don't need to what, cry i needed i needed to have a damn cry that's what i needed and I, I didn't get one i got a dang whimper um to tell you the truth and it could have you know it could have been better uh so 78 uh, that's 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 where i'm that's where i stand all right well after plugging that into the patented scoreometer <laughs> Man, that was kind of a, a weak one over there. Okay, fine. Do it again. No. 
You had your chance. After and after plugging that into our patented scorometer. Thank you. Yeah, we have a final score of a seventy-eight point six, and it's a seventy-eight point six seven. Thank you for that, Tristan. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks oh, it is a solid C. It is a passable movie. I really Speaking do. of the letter that's, C. That's a C plus. Guess what we're watching next week? Um, C. C is for can. The ocean. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage eats lots of cans of tuna. And C is also the letter that spells something that eats tuna fish. Um, What is it, Doug? You're uh, so close. You're so uh, close. Doctor. Mike Myers. Uh, no. Well, yes, but, but Shrek, C, Shrek, but Shrek. C no. spells Wait. something that Mike Myers plays. The Cat in the Hat. Yes, oh, wow. but, yes. But 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 Ben. Yes, Doc. Did, didn't we already talk about? No, we haven't. Cat in the Hat on our older podcast. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. But you remember a few weeks ago when we did Legally Blonde, and I said, "Hey, this is the first time that we're going to do a redo episode like this." Well, actually, I don't. I wasn't on that episode. Well, I talked about it the week before too that you were on. Oh well, then. Anyway, uh, <laughs> pardon me, I'm going to seclude into my hoodie. But yes, this is going to be our second redo episode. We're going to be talking about uh, Dr. Seuss's The Cat in the Hat, directed by whoever directed that. Bo Welch. Bo Welch. Look, all I, all I know is I've never seen a cat wearing a hat, so I'm interested. All right. You clearly have not been walking down the right alleys then, my friend. Accurate. Uh, wait, hold on. I, d- I did watch Top Cat growing up, so I take that back completely. He has a hat. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a great time. Uh, be sure to join us then. Uh, also, check us out on social media at Vider Media. Keep up with everything that we do. Uh, also, check out our website, vidermedia.com. But in the meantime, until next week... I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. And this has been Setting the Skeen. Y'all have a great week. Yes, uh, thanks for coming back to me. <laughs> I'm always here for you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening to my show today. I'll see you next week, and I will discuss things that match, uh, particularly my sticks. All right, uh, toodaloo. <laughs>